Welcome to episode 15 of the Mere Mortal Marathon podcast, where you'll hear what it's like to train for and run your first marathon. I'm Dwayne France, and I'm joined by Coach Morgan Lattimore, the people's coach, and together we're going to share the week-by-week training journey that'll take me, just a regular guy in a mere mortal, to the finish line of my first marathon. And if I can do it, you can too. Thanks again for joining us for the Mere Mortal Marathon podcast. I'm excited to be going on this journey and pleased to invite you to join me along the way. There's a couple of ways that we can be connected. Follow the podcast wherever you listen to them and you'll be notified when a new episode comes out. You can also see where the journey takes me by connecting on Strava by going to strava.com forward slash athletes forward slash M3 podcast. The link will be in the show notes. There you'll see if I'm following the training plan like I'm supposed to be. And you can find all of the episodes on the fundraising page from my charity partner, the Second Wind Fund, at coloradogives.org forward slash M3 podcast. The mission of the Second Wind Fund is to decrease the incidence of suicide in children and youth by removing barriers to treatment. They match children and youth at risk for suicide with licensed therapists in their communities and pay for up to 12 sessions of therapy when there's a barrier to treatment. Simply by listening right now, you're doing your part. Every time someone listens to an episode, $1 is going to be donated to the Second Wind Fund up to $1,000. So listen, share, and know that you're doing your part to stop suicide in children and youth in Colorado. So check out coloradogives.org forward slash M3 podcast for all the episodes to give to the cause or simply to see how far we've gotten. This week, Coach Morgan and I both had some travel going on. He had some work in California and I was attending a conference in Toronto. So rather than a coaching call and a recap of week 12, I'm pleased to bring you a conversation with a special guest. Cree Kelly, race director of the Denver Colfax Marathon. I thought it would be neat to get his perspective on running and share a bit about the race that I'm going to be running in about a month and a half. Cree Kelly has been a competitor, agent, race director, national consultant, and elected leader in the national and international running community for over 30 years. Since moving to Denver in 1978, he has represented elite athletes as an agent and put on more than a thousand races across the country. He's been an integral part of the Colfax Marathon since its inaugural race in 2006 and has been the race director since 2008. Cree has been running since his sophomore year in high school and ran college track at Virginia Military Institute. And, as you'll hear in our conversation, Cree is a veteran having deployed to Vietnam and served in Germany, like Coach Morgan and I. We didn't plan it like that. It just worked out that way. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Cree, and I'll be back afterwards to wrap things up. Cree, I'm so appreciative that you're able to take some time to share your love for the Denver Colfax Marathon with us. Before we get into the race, however, it'd be great to hear more about you, your running journey, and why this sport is so important to you. That's a great question, Dwayne. My journey started as a sophomore in high school in Westport, Connecticut. I'd fallen into the wrong crowd. My parents weren't very happy about it. And I was about to have a fight in the parking lot. And I was part of a little gang. And one of the coolest guys in the school, a guy named Kevin Cunningham, said, you're not going to fight today. You're going to go out for track. I had no idea what he was talking about, but he was cool. So I went and did what he said. The coach said, what are you here for? And I said, track. He said, what event? I said, track. This is God's honest truth. And he said, warm up and you're going to run the mile. I said, how far is that? He said, four times around that field. I went, okay, got it. And I ran under six minute mile, I don't know, 545, 550 or something. He said, you're on the team, but you can't smoke. And I went, okay, I won't smoke anymore. Changed my life entirely. 
Fast forward, it went to Virginia Military Institute, VMI, a great military school, but also high academics and ran track indoor and outdoors and cross country and did well as a distance runner. Wasn't great. Didn't make any national teams. Didn't even make it to the nationals, but did really well in conference and state meets with the other universities and colleges. Virginia has a lot of them. Once I finished that four years of running, we, we became second lieutenants and I knew it was highly likely I was going to Vietnam. I did. I stopped running started smoking again. And in the military, you know, I ran when I had to run. I left Vietnam, didn't get wounded, learned a lot about myself, and then went to Germany. And Germany would run my troops. And I would always do well doing that. There was only one kid that beat me, which was, I wasn't happy about that. But still smoking and got out in 73, got a career in Atlanta working for a search firm and began to do speaking engagements, teaching people how to get jobs and traveled around the Southeast, was living in Atlanta and was really successful at it. One day in 75, my wife announced that she was pregnant. And I went, wow. And at the same time, another God wink. On the coffee table was the New England Journal of Medicine. Now, please don't think that I read that thing, but it looked good on the coffee table. There just happened to be an article in that magazine at that time by a Japanese doctor who said, you cannot smoke around pregnant women. It could hurt the fetus. So I announced to my wife, we're not smoking anymore. And I was doing about a pack and a half a day. And I stopped cold. Boom. Just stop. And... The next day, went down to a club and told a guy that I tried to start running the other day, but I, my old Adidas running flats were all crinkled and hurt my feet. And he said, well, you should go down to this running store called Fidipides in Ansley Mall. And they, I said, what's a running store? And they said, it's for runners. It's, it's a, I said, well, that's a great idea. I did. And these moments in life are just very interesting when you reflect on them. In that running store were several very trim runners. One of which was the owner, a guy named Jeff Galloway. He was a Wesleyan graduate, had made the 72 Olympic team, and was extraordinary. He sold me a pair of shoes for $19.99. I still remember they were Nike Roadrunners. And he taught me how to get back in shape. He started coaching me for free. Now you pay coaches. I would call him, and this will be age-identifying. I would call him long distance from another state to get my next week's workouts. I got so excited about that. By 77, I was starting to run decently again. I was just over 30 years old. I wanted to own a running store. So I told him, I said, I want to own a running store. And he said, there are some locations in the United States that are available, one of which is Denver. I said, no, here I, in Atlanta. And he goes, no, that's sold out. So I said, okay, I'll go to Denver. I literally went home. I think that's why I got divorced the first time. And I told my wife that this beautiful home we built from ground up and all the things that were, we had, we were going to pack it all up and go into Denver. And we did. That's as quick a journey as I can give you is to get you into Colorado. But I had to run a marathon because I knew it was so important to establish my relative credentials. Competitive running was much more important than participatory running 45 years ago. There's just no question. It was just a different world. And I wanted to stick out as much as I could. Well, I wasn't that good, but I ran my first marathon 
Jeff told me one thing. He said, you have to run the distance before you run your first marathons. So it's not a mystery to you. Well, I took that literally. He didn't quite mean it the way he said it, but that's all I heard. So one day, about a month prior, I drove 13.1 miles from where I was living. I literally put a flag in the dirt, because it was a dirt road back then, and drove back to my house, got out of the car, and started running toward that flag. Got to the flag and ran home. No water, no liquids, nothing. And then I got right into bed. But I did it. And once I'd done that, I felt pretty doggone comfortable I could run a marathon. Fast forward, I was terrible at retail. Awful. But I was great at promotion. I knew how to get runners into my store. I knew a lot of how to do that. And I had amazing clinics and people would come in and just uh, who's who of running would come by and do talks. And I'd get the runners in there and they'd buy stuff. And it was the evolution of running. So I was at the forefront of representing as an agent, top distance runners when they could start making money. That built me into traveling to different races. That allowed me to get a microphone in my hand again. By the mid-80s, I was traveling nationally and announcing races, doing radio broadcasts for races, doing TV broadcasts for races. And I had created an event management company, had sold off all the running stores by the mid-80s. And that's how my career evolved to that point. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. And you're right. And I'm thinking back to my time in the military is you ran when you needed to. You sure. It wasn't something that you did that you enjoyed. And then your first marathon in my first marathon here in Denver is at altitude coming from Atlanta. Exactly. Running a marathon at altitude had to be a, a bit challenging. It was daunting. In fact, there's a guy named Roger Gerard. God bless him. He mentored me a little bit in my running the first 30 days. He said, you should run Como to Breckenridge. It's a good long run to get ready for the marathon. I went, okay. I had no idea what he's talking about. And that's, I don't know, 23 miles or something. And I lined up in Como and pack of a couple of hundred runners, maybe 300. And we started running and suddenly we're going uphill over the Boreas Pass. I was in almost, I'm not exaggerating, almost dead last at the top, but I'm a very good downhill runner. And I ended up like third or fourth in the whole race at the end. I've looked everywhere for results from that race because I want to say it was second, but I'll just say it was in the top three or four. But the point was, it was a different world and competition was everything. But while I was still working at the tip of the spear, not so much with my own running, because I, I acknowledged that I was never going to be a great runner. So I wanted to be in the sport. And I met a guy named Bob Carlson, another name. He's long gone. He was part of the, the, the mountain division in the Second World War. And he asked me to race walking and why it was important and why walkers were important. And this wasn't popular in the early 80s. But by the mid 80s, I had race walking divisions in every one of my races. And I noticed that by doing that, more and more runners started showing up, walkers, where Walking it had no fan base. Now it did. Women, 84. Joan Benoit Samuelson winning the Olympic marathon in LA. That opened up another door. And I saw the reality by the early 90s that I ought to get off my high horse about the tip of the spear and start looking at the best of the rest. And they have money. Their entry fee is no different. And it changed the whole nature of the business as we went fast forward. And it wasn't until 
2003-2004, I'd had a lot of things happen in my career that were really fun and exciting and international travel. And I was just living the dream. By 2003, marathons had come and gone in the metropolitan Denver area. They had a tawdry pass. Promoters had come in from outside, put on great events, and then didn't pay anybody. Left with a blood trail. And I was approached by a business group from the a Colfax business district saying that they wanted to put on a marathon on Colfax. And Colfax had a, a bit of an off reputation. You can go back and look at the history of it. And I said, I don't want anything to do with that. Number one, putting on a marathon in Denver just has bad reputation. And number two, it'll be too expensive. And I don't need to get all deep into that. I've got a, an event company that's putting on 40 or 50 events a, a year, and I'm announcing 20 or 30 times around the country. I'm happy. I'm good. They went away, and I called them like three or four months later. It was, I think it was early 2004. Just out of curiosity, I said, you guys going to be putting on that marathon? I'm just curious. They said, it's so funny you called because we were going to call you today. I said, what do you mean you're going to call me today? He said, yeah, we're having a meeting at the Economic Development Office in the city of Lakewood, and we want you to attend and tell us more about how to put on a marathon. And I went, I told you I'm really not interested, but I said, just humor us and just come to the meeting. I thought it'd be two or three people. It wasn't. It was a boardroom full of people from Lakewood, Aurora, and Denver, and they, they wanted to do this thing. And I couldn't talk them out of it. And at the end of the meeting, myself and a wonderful woman named Jean Townsend and I were put together to create a feasibility study for this event. Well, I said to Jean in the hallway after these economic development officers from the cities said, yeah, go for it, do it. And I said, Jean, I don't have the time. I'm, I can't be doing things for this and not get paid because I'm getting paid for everything else. She said, oh, you misunderstood. These three cities are paying us to do a feasibility study. I went, wow, they do things like um, the event might not even happen. They're still going to pay us. I'm all in. And it was a wonderful experience. She knew the infrastructure of cities and how they operated and budgets and who was who and so on, city councils. And I knew none of that. What I did know was budgeting. I knew how to write those things and do things. And we presented to city councils. So that was the genesis of Colfax. And by spring of 2005, the decision had been made to go forward with it. We had our press conference one year prior. I had the governor, the mayor, everybody and their grandmother was there. And at the convention center downtown, we launched at that time was called the Colfax Marathon and now known as the Denver Colfax Marathon. And 2006 was our first event. Yeah, in really great event. As I shared with you, I ran the half marathon in 2012. I love the half, um, yeah. And, and it was really great. It ran through the fire station, very memorable. But I enjoy it so much that I chose it as my first marathon, now coming up here in May. So it's a great race, a great group of races, actually. What can you tell us about the Denver Colfax Marathon? Race? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting to, I have to get my head around it every once in a while. I am great friends with most race directors around the country and around the world. We are collegial. We share information all the time. When they talk about, yeah, we have a marathon, we start here, we end here, that's it. I'm going, you're so lucky. We have a 5K on Saturday. Forget the expo, which is two-day things, Friday and Saturday. Richard Klasky is our expo director, and he does an amazing job. We have 5K on Saturday. We usually get around 5,000 people 
including Girls on the Run, which has a huge group of wonderful parents and children that are completing their journey. On Sunday, we have the marathon. We have the half marathon. We have a five-person marathon relay. And just for grins, we have a 10-mile that starts in Lakewood and ends up at the same finish line. So it's a very complicated assemblage of events with the, you know, the marathon starting at essentially we have an early start for athletes with disabilities at 5.55 and 6 a.m. get underway with the marathon. Half marathon typically starts at 6.30. So at six at 6.30, we, 6.25, we start our, our athletes um, with disabilities. And then we get right to the main group at 6.30. And then we send them out in waves. And the 10 mile will start in a period of time at a much more comfortable period of time later in the morning. And that time is always spent as a range um, right around 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning so that they blend with the otters as they go. Anyway, it is a complicated event. It's just complicated. And you're talking about like six different start locations with the relay included and stuff too. But not only that, and you could run up and down Colfax. It is literally the longest, straightest road. road in the country. Right. And we did do that for a couple of years. Really bad idea. And and just go out and back. But also you make it more complicated by going through some of the most iconic yeah. Denver locations yeah. throughout the city. We changed the half marathon. We used to go into Aurora and go through a fire station there, which is what I think you remember. But we decided not to keep going that direction for a couple of reasons. One. Colorado Boulevard goes north-south right by City Park, on the east side of City Park. And it really was difficult for the community to navigate on a Sunday morning going to church or wherever else they were doing if we cut the north-south corridor. And the other part was the neighborhoods loved us, but we did isolate some neighborhoods out there. And they never really complained, but I think it wasn't the best solution. But the iconic parts, City Park in it of itself isn't amazing. We take our parks for granted in Denver. You go to other cities, but yeah, you can go to New York and you've got Central Park, but you have nothing like Washington Park and City Park and even Sloan's Lake. And then there's just so much available that people don't realize that we take for granted in this beautiful city. Just being in City Park is pretty awesome and a great festival area for us. Secondly, going through fire station number one in Denver just before you get on the Cherry Creek bike path, now the half marathon goes through that fire station as well. And then you've got the Cherry Creek bike path, and then you've got the Platte River bike path, and then run over Bronco Bridge, and you run through Empower Field at Mile High. This is These partnerships we have with various community groups is extraordinary. Then from there, you go around Sloan's Lake. I'm talking about just the marathon, obviously. And then you get to run through Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design, RIMCAD, as we say it. And we've got Casa Bonita right there with us, right there on the course. And they're back this year. They're going to be back yeah, this year. Yeah, I don't year. know exactly when their opening date is, but stay tuned for news on that one with us. I can't say anything officially. And then you go through an area of Lakewood that I never knew existed. It's called the, the Glens. It's a beautiful area way out west. and they let us invade their beautiful community and run through it, tall trees. And if it's sunny that day, it's a little bit of respite from the sun. And then you're back on Colfax and you're 
running real fast down Colfax, back down to the stadium. Anyway, the point is there's great stuff. And now that the half marathon, when it starts out after three plus miles, you're running a whole mile inside the Denver Zoo. We're the only race that does that. And we're one of the only races in the country that can legitimately say that it runs that far through a zoo. There are other cities that do it, Kansas City and some other places, but this is pretty special. And we've redesigned that mile. They've been doing a lot of reconstruction in the zoo. So we got to change our mile. But if people always ask me, what race would you run if you could, if you weren't the race director? I ran my last marathon in 2007. And, I'm, and I ran, I don't know, 15 or 16 of them. Never really got it right. I had, some were better than others. Some were horrible. But I would run the half. The half just, it's just, it's cool. It's, and you can run a fairly fast time. I mean, you slow down in the zoo. There's no way you don't slow down. You're taking a million turns. But it's got all that cool stuff to look at. So I, I'd run the half probably. You make it sound like actually running the marathon is easier than running the marathon as a race director, like you're oh, talking man, about. Oh, man, I'll tell so you. All I've got to do is just run the miles. <laughs> you have to plan the miles. Well, it's it, listen, my opinion of how to put on a race in 1977, as far as I'm concerned, you show up, they draw a line in the sand, they say go, you run. I don't remember water stations at all, even and certainly not in races under... Uh, a 10K, there might be one, but usually was or none. And sometimes you were running with traffic, which just how the world worked. Way different world. It's a very sophisticated environment. I go to one or two conferences every year nationally that are devoted exclusively to event security and event preparedness. And that's part of my responsibility to create an emergency action plan so thank God we've got Cigna and these partnerships with REI and so many other things that we simply couldn't afford to provide this, the event that we do. I went to a race unnamed. If you add up all their events over two days, over 20,000 runners. At the finish line, they get a small bottle of water, a banana, and a bag of animal crackers. And everybody seemed to be okay with that. At our race at the finish line, you get breakfast, a lot of food. This year, we have a salad sponsor. For, it's really a very different experience, and that's part of the fun. Andrea Dowdy, our CEO, if I could say anything about what her focus is, it's to give the participant the best possible experience, period. And I would say she spends a lot of time on post-event refreshments and entertainment. And it may not suit everybody. But every time I come back to the finish line, the festival area, and I see all these people, thousands of people milling around in City Park and having food and putting blankets down, listening to the music, or even dancing. I don't know how they do that after running a race. I go, wow, this, is, this just feels fun. This is fun. And, but that's Andrea Dowdy. I'm about the function. She's about the, the fashion of the event. And you're energizing me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. And so obviously the goal of this podcast is to share my journey and hopefully inspire others to, to run their first marathon. What tips or suggestions do you have for a first-time marathoner? Because I'm asking for a friend, obviously. Yeah. yeah okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Dwayne, first of all, the concept of training is very valuable. Training is number one. I used to tell my athletes as an agent or as a coach, 
I said, there's only two rules of engagement. One, don't get sick. Two, don't get injured. You must avoid injury and sickness at all costs. So if you're being coached, let's use you as an example. You're, you've got a coach, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Your coach is going to be super sensitive to how you're feeling. Here's what's wrong with distance runners as they get into their training. As they start to build through thresholds, I usually went with a four to six month training program lead up to a marathon. But the first month is just getting time and distance under your belt. I don't care how fast you go. Just survive and get your mileage up. And I, this is the old core, but I always wanted you to be at least at 40 miles a week. I usually use by miles, not by time at the end of the first month. And then you've got to build strength with hill training because hill training is speed work and slow motion. You won't get injured doing hills. You can get injured doing speed work too soon. And then I would say you've got to extend the long run. And I was always a proponent of running as close to the marathon distance as possible. But I've certainly seen great success with people that do 20 to 22 mile runs. But if you're going to do less distance on the length, you should do more of them, but not every weekend. Eventually, a 15 mile run is a recovery long run. You might do 15, then you do 20, then you do 15, then you do 22, then you do 15, you do 22 again, and then you bring it back down. Anyway, that's the point is that listen to your coach. So your coach is going to say, Dwayne, how you feel? Say, oh, I feel great. My throat's a little scratchy. What do you mean your throat's scratchy? They got to dig into what you're saying because you're going to feel so good that the slightest little thing that is bothering you, you will discount where your coach Mm -hmm. will pay attention. So uh, how many times I remember an athlete telling me that I was coaching, yeah, I feel great. There is this one thing in my calf or my IT band or so. I said, wait, let's talk about that. Let's get into that. And then I may just refer them immediately to physical therapy and tell them, that, all right, you're going to back off. You're going to, I'm going to bring in an expert to deal with that. If it's a scratchy throat or I've got sniffles or, you know, a cold is imminent. I'd say you got to back off. You got to treat that because you don't want to have your training interrupted dramatically with an injury that just takes you out of the game. And that happens to so many runners in the final month. Because they start to do too much, they're too cocky, and they don't realize they've got to let their body rest. So the last long run should not be any closer than 30 days prior. And if that's 20 miles, that's great if it's 18. But from that point forward, you're backing down your training. You're just getting fresh and sharp. And I don't care if you gain three pounds. That means nothing. What means more is, did you create the base? Did you develop the base? Did you develop resistance training through hill work? Did you end up doing some tempo runs? I love, love, love tempo run, which means running at the pace that you expect. You're going to have a target goal for your marathon, whatever it is. You you and your coach have said, I want to run blank. It might be four hours. It might be 420. It might be 330. It doesn't matter. Whatever it was, your coach is going to say, that's a rational goal or that's not achievable. And you have to listen to your coach. That's why you have a coach. They're your best brain. And that coach then says, okay, based on that goal, they'll back plan you right to where you are now. And that's the best part because you can stop thinking. You just have to do. And I don't care. I can remember doing long runs that it's like it's snowing here at my home right now. 
but I can remember waking up and it's not blizzard, but it's close. And that's the day for the long run. And I go, well, I guess I got to dress appropriately because I don't get to change this date. Now, now, obviously, there's exceptions. Thunderstorms with lightning, I suggest not. Sleet is, I've run through it, it's not preferred or hail. But otherwise, there's no excuse. Get your butt out there and do it. You're right. Probably the most common answer to my wife's questions right now is because Coach Morgan told me to. That is exactly, but that's appropriate because you put your life in their hands, essentially, and that should give you confidence. You have confidence because you get to do this and you have somebody else telling you how to do it. I had Jeff Galloway telling me, and it worked, by the way, what he told me to do, I did a little weird, but what he told me to do, I followed it to the letter and um, I didn't win the race. But I know I was like 13th or something that first time. Time wasn't as fast as I thought I would run. But looking back, I'd give anything to run that day. No, this has been great. Kree, I'm so glad you were able to spend some time. Again, obviously, with the marathon coming up and how busy things are, I really appreciate taking the time to share this, not just with me, but with our audience. So if people wanted to find out more about the Denver Colfax Marathon, how can they do that? The easiest way is just to go to the website runcolfax.org. All the information's there. There are FAQs there. There's schedules there. You know, what's the next cool thing? So runcolfax.org, questions are always there. There's an info at runcolfax.org. People ask questions all the time that, frankly, are already answered in the thing. The expo, you know, is kind of fun because it's an empower field at mile high up on the club level. Very few races have as cool an expo, frankly, as we do. But share your experience with others. Uh, reinforce your experience by showing it up other people's training run. That's That makes you feel better. And you say, I'm not in this alone. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, pleasure, Dwayne. Uh, um, keep it up the good work yourself. And you know what? We're all an experiment of one. And your experiment will define you. And no matter whether you hit your target goal or not, at the end of the day, when you cross that finish line, you can say, I am a marathoner. That's my goal. Thank you so much. So that's a conversation with the Denver Colfax Marathon race director, Cree Kelly. A really neat look at the development of the race. And a lot of marathons have equally compelling origin stories and take on a personality and character of their own. As I mentioned in the conversation, Cree has me pumped up and excited for the race. A real quick recap of the week to let everybody know that I'm not slacking in my training. We had another high mileage week with a total of 42 miles, a couple of six-mile runs, one of which was a progressive pace run, and an eight-mile run midweek. Then I had a nice long 14-mile run on a hazy and cold Toronto morning. I ran an out-and-back course along the Lake Ontario waterfront. Then ended up with travel back home and an 8-mile run on Sunday. After a 14-mile run, after travel, back at altitude after a week. But I got it done, and like Coach Morgan said, it's a good way to train for the second half of the marathon. So thanks again for joining us for the Mere Mortal Marathon podcast, where you hear mere mortals like you and me reach our goals as I train for the 2023 Denver Colfax Marathon. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at Dwayne at VeteranMentalHealth.com. 
You want to support a great cause? I'm a charity partner with the Second Wind Fund, a Colorado organization that focuses on improving access and delivery of suicide prevention care for children and youth at risk for suicide. You can donate to the cause by going to coloradogives.org forward slash M3 podcast. As a reminder, simply by listening to the show, a dollar's going into the pot. If you want more dollars to go in the pot, share the show with others who may appreciate it. If you want to reach out to Coach Morgan to show appreciation for the excellent work that he does or sign up for the People's Coach newsletter, you can find him at morganlattimore.com. All of the links to each of these are going to be in the show notes. So thanks for joining us for another episode of the Mere Mortal Marathon podcast. And just remember, mere mortals can do extraordinary things.